0: welcome in to episode 105 of the House of L podcast I'm Lawrence Holmes thanks so much for checking out the podcast this week it has been uh it's crazy like this month has been one of the most downloaded months that I've had in a long time and there a big thanks goes to both Lance Briggs who was last week's episode and my buddy Rick camp who was nice enough to do some bull stuff for House of L for which I paid him. And now he's launched his own podcast called Basketball Camp and I thank him because he brought a whole bunch of ears to House of L and I hope that you stick around and and you stay and it was very very valuable which is why I wrote the man a check. See Campy, you can do it on your own if you want, baby. You can. I'm also excited because I've been sitting on a Spice Adams episode for about a month and I think next week we will put it out for the public for people. But this week this week was tremendous. I have a a, a ton of affection for Peggy Kaczynski. I think she is a real badass when it comes to doing sports in Chicago. She's a legend. She bristles at that, and she explains to me why I might think that she's a trailblazer, but she's not as much of a trailblazer as I think. But I think a lot of people have that same sentiment, and I'm glad that Peggy does a good job of kind of setting the record straight on that. You'll hear once you get inside of the the episode. What I love about this episode is... I think you get a real sense of how fun Peggy is. She's a serious journalist, make no mistake, and we talk a lot about what's right and what's wrong inside of journalism and sports journalism in particular. But I I think one of the things that comes across and came across on camera for her, it clearly comes across on radio with her work on the Kevin Matthews show, her work on, on AM 1000, her work nationally, like that stuff comes across. But on television, when you only have, whether it's a, a four-minute newscast or a 90-second package, she was able to convey her personality through her stories. But don't get it twisted. This is the type of person that you wanted in the interview room after a Bears game, inside the locker room after a Bears game. Because Peggy knows her stuff, and the people around her knew that she knew her stuff. So this was great. Obviously, we're having these conversations now remotely. And I actually think that for this particular episode, it really lends to it. I haven't asked PK yet. I will. I'm going to ask her if I can put the video up on YouTube. But you'll hear her talking about what's going on in her house. And it's great that the how she's embraced being a mom, and as she would say, an older mom, and dealing with social media with her twin boys and her daughter. So that's all up in here too. If you wanted to know what those interview rooms were like with Lovey Smith, outside of my recollections of them, you're going to get Peggy's, and I think that that's important. There's a lot of good lessons in here. If you're a young journo, I, I would highly recommend that you 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 share this. With some people, because Peggy know knows how to do it the right way, and she did it for the right way for a long time. And we even talk about why she walked away. We get into that too. Great episode with a great person. Episode 105 with Peggy Kaczynski. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Woohoo! Look at you. Hey, with all the new technology.
1: Do you remember the poker room?
0: Yes, that's where you're at.
1: Yes, so this is this is my studio setup now. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So if I knew how to, I think if I just uh, if I had hooked up the phone to my um, uh, your mic, board, yeah. Yeah, then I could have just used the mic, and it would have been much better for you. So I apologize. No,
0: no worries. This is fine. I'm looking at the the levels right now. It's totally fine.
1: Okay, I gotta find something to lean it against, and I'm opening my <laughs> bottle of wine for the night.
0: <laughs> oh, this is top notch. This is gonna be a, a classic episode. Then
1: it can't be. It can't be a Peggy after dark without me. You know, having some wine.
0: No, I I I like what kind is that?
1: It's um. Uh, Montrose, Rose, which is a Saint Estef 2016 French Bordeaux.
0: Oh. Fancy yeah. schmancy.
1: Hey, I'm cleaning out the cellar. It's what it's rainy daytime. But I'm such a Polack that I <laughs> I put uh, I put how much it's worth on the bottom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you gotta know what the value is for sure.
1: So I bought it at Benny's um for thirty-five dollars. And I zap it with the, the app and the value is now 42. Look at me.
0: Look at you. <laughs> L- you are making profit after profit after profit.
1: Oh, my God. It, this is just so funny. My, my wine cellar is completely organized now. I mean, completely. Um, I, went, I, I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I've done in the last week. That I've gotten done. It's crazy.
0: No, that's a good thing. I think that that's one of the the good byproducts of this is that we're being productive yeah. in ways that we thought that we weren't going to be productive.
1: Totally. And well, it forces us because you can't sit there and go, God, I got nothing done over two weeks. Yep. I got nothing done. Like there is no excuse.
0: Nope. You're 100% right. There's no yeah. excuse for that at all. Yeah. How, how are the kids?
1: Everyone's good. You know, it's kind of hard on them, to be honest. It's hard on Jason Jr. He's um, He's got a girlfriend, and so it's been really, really... I didn't realize how hard it would be, and then my daughter got a little emotional yesterday. You know, you know they hear everything on the news, and um, my husband, Jason's um, company is still open, thank God, uh, because they manufacture a commodity, which is electrical components, and they... I have orders for the hospitals to, you know, all those ventilators need, you know, cording that Mm -hmm. goes, that gets plugged in. And that's basically what they make. So, so he goes to work every day and he's trying to keep everybody social distancing in a factory. So, you know, we're, we all get a little nervous, you know, but I am just a maniac with the Lysol. I mean, I am, I went to Walmart and I had my, Thing of whites with me, and I actually are you recording? By the way, should should we just like are we just talking?
0: I uh, we we can I can stop recording. I was recording, but oh, this no, is are
1: good good. No, this is good. My like, content is good. I get it. Content's good. So, um, but I uh, people were laughing at me because I was walking and I had a wipe in my hand, and I everything you like you don't realize how much people touch. Mm-hmm. Until you go, there was one of the, one of the footballers in Italy, in Italy, I saw one of his tweets and he said that their highest, uh, contagion, uh, area is the grocery store. And he said, if I could teach anyone, you know, in the States what to look out for, please be careful in your grocery stores. So I literally was walking around with a wipe in my hand and everything I wanted to buy. There's no, you know, taking it off the shelf, looking at it, putting it back. Oh, this one looks better. I'll take this one instead. Like you have to grab what you want with the wipe, wipe it all down. This was after I wiped down the cart, put it in the cart. Then when I was checking everything out, I wiped down the the self checkout. I wiped down the gun. I wiped down the credit card uh, reader. And I mean, I wiped down everything. And this woman next to me was just looking at me like, I was crazy, and I was like, hey, I, I don't want to take any chances. I just I don't want anyone in my family. I feel like I am, my moral responsibility is to my immediate family. And that means when I go out, I should also, you know, I, I, I got to help people that are around me too. So the woman that was giving me, looking at me weird, I go, would you like a wife?
0: She's like, thank you. Yep. <laughs>
1: Someone a piece of gold,
0: you know. No doubt about I mean I did the same thing at the ATM yesterday. Yeah. Where I'm like, nope, screen, buttons, all of it.
1: Think about like you don't think about, you know, when you have kids, when they're when they're babies, you're constantly using the the sanitizer. Everyone that has a newborn baby, you know, you have to sanitize before you pick the baby up. But all that goes away when they're four years old and they have snot running down their nose. And then it's like, here, let me use my shirt to just wipe it off. You know, you, there's so much germs. And then you realize when your kids are like six and seven and eight, that they have to put their hands on everything, every escalator, every staircase, everything there, the railings, everything. And you kind of become a little nauseous to the, like the germs that they're, that they're exposed to. Well, now that we, are at this weird, crazy, crazy state of uh, with this virus. You know, it's just, you, you find yourself being, like I find myself being more than I think I um, ever was. And I thought I, I was borderline germaphobe before. And now I'm just, you know, I just would feel so guilty if I passed it on to, to anyone in my family or anyone around me. It would be horrible.
0: I think that anyone that is taking smart precautions, like it, you can't blame them. You you just yeah. can't. Like the, the way that this is going and how how it's affected everyone, it's it's scary. Like it's a very very scary thing. So why don't we talk about something a little happier? All right. So um, you're on TikTok now. Ah. <laughs>
1: So I got to tell you why TikTok was on my to-do list because I'm 56 years old and I have an 11 year old daughter. So it's really easy to be the old mom. I mean, my daughter would say things like mom, you know, Mrs. Uh, So-and-so, Mrs. Carrie, it just had her birthday. I'm like, oh, how old is Mrs. Carey? I love her. 39? I'm like, oh, my oh, God. I'm like, oh my gosh. And we do all of our, our, we do a trip with all our neighbors when everyone turns 50. I'm like, the last person turned 50 this year. I'm closer to 60 than they, you know, were to 50. To I'm like, oh my gosh. So I always think about something that um, Chris Berman, boomer at ESPN, used to say, when I worked with him in Bristol, Connecticut, um, he he really struggled with computers. <laughs> so this was in like 19, gosh, what year, 88? I wanna say 87, somewhere around 87, 88. And the ESPN newsroom had just gotten computers so they were the big, like clunky. And before that, everyone typed on the old typewriters. And so your scripts had like five sheets to it and you you typed really hard and Boomer was like a hunt and pack real hard. You know, and then yellow was for the director. Pink and blue were for the two anchors. You know, green was for the floor director. You know, and then the last sheet, was for uh, the teleprompter. And you literally fed each sheet into the teleprompter so that they could see it. And back then, you know, teleprompters went down all the time because it was human error. You were just, you know, you've got the pages screwed up or whatever. Well, Boomer absolutely refused to do computers and he still did the old hunt and peck on the old, you know, typewriter. And I remember thinking, you know, back in the 88, whatever, I thought, oh my gosh, I can never be like that. I can't be that person that if you don't change with the times, you will get old really quick and you will be left behind. So, you know, when Twitter came out, I, I jumped on it. I didn't necessarily understand it right away, but I feel like I was doing it fairly early, you know, for media um 10 12 years ago i don't know how long ago twitter came out but so tiktok i thought okay i don't understand like i'm watching the rock and kevin hart they're two of my favorite people on social media and and i'm like I'm like okay is it 10 to 20 seconds of just talking and then it goes away and like i don't get it and yet, then there's all these dances. So I just said to my daughter, okay, teach me TikTok. And so she says, okay. But I go, okay, teach me a really easy one, okay? Just teach me an easy one. Well, she teaches me Renegade. Renegade. Mm-hmm. Renegade. Do you know Renegade? I do. Holy crap, is it hard? It was really hard. And I had foot surgery a week ago, Monday. So I was on day four and I was still gooped up on God. And. I'm trying to learn Renegade, the dance. And my teenagers are walking through, they're laughing. They're like, no, mom, it's like this, you know. No, it's figure eight, like this. You could do the worm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do some of them. But, you know, everything is, I guess, really close and tight to the body. That's what I have to learn. So um, it took about an hour to learn Renegade. And then uh, um, I said, okay. I think it's time I needed." Another one moves clap <laughs> four times slowly <laughs> and then just the very first move I just couldn't even get it it was like she was making fun of me she's like yo what are you doing I'm like well what does it matter if you know oh my gosh yeah it, it, it's challenging but it's fun
0: can I make a suggestion for your next TikTok video
1: Go go on Google and make sure Go on YouTube and learn it first
0: No 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 no. I think that you should reverse it On your daughter I think you should teach her A dance that you used to do And see how long it takes her And then put that on TikTok
1: Okay wait so Can you do like any dance Can you just can I bring back You know staying alive Yeah
0: I I, I think that that's what you do Like you do something that is completely Foreign to her and then teach it to her, and then put that on TikTok.
1: Yeah,
0: just reverse it. You know,
1: because I could get the two teenagers involved in that too. I love that
0: idea. I think you just all
1: right, game on. I'm gonna
0: do that. All right, good, good. What, what
1: have you done on TikTok?
0: I haven't joined TikTok yet.
1: Oh come on, get all the cool kids are doing it. Low, come
0: on. All right, maybe I'll I'll jump on TikTok. So I I, I almost got tempted when I saw that Rita Wilson was doing rap lyrics on Twitter, and then Sarah Spain did a song. I thought about doing that, and then Goff was like, everyone who's not a rapper, please stop doing rap music on Twitter. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that at all. He's yeah, he's, right? a, he's 100% right about that.
1: I saw that going around. You know what? I saw that going around, but I didn't open it. I saw the Rita Wilson, and I saw Sarah Spain, but I didn't open it. Is that what they're
0: Doing No, 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 no. they're, they're doing it. Like, so Rita, Rita Wilson was listening. And so like the idea is that she's sitting there reading a book and then she, she heard a song by naughty by nature and then she just started rapping along to it and she picked like the most difficult part and she Uh nailed it. And so everyone, it basically became like the Rita Wilson challenge, like pick your favorite rap song and then act like you're reading a book and then do your, your deal.
1: Okay. Yikes. That could be a little scary. It could like, be. You know, especially, well, yeah. She pulled some it. White people. Some white people shouldn't even be trying it.
0: It's like, I, let's be honest. I think that's what Jason was saying. And I think that, yeah. that he was right about it. And then I was like, you know what? You're old. Maybe you shouldn't do it either. And I was like, okay.
1: Okay. Although, Lawrence, so, you know, my two boys are 17 and they, hip hop is their genre. It is the most popular genre. It has surpassed country. It has surpassed pop. So when I'm trying to, um, understand them and, and, and still try really hard not to sound like my parents. Um, I gotta tell you, I listen and like, okay, wait a minute. This is not hip hop. This is pop. This is pop. A lot of the hip hop today, so they don't want to say they're pop because it's not cool. So they say they're hip hop, but they're it's pop. And the other thing, I'm really, really sorry, but um, I my biggest hang up right now is with Lizzo. Okay, like stop yourself already. She can sing, but you got to get to like the middle or the end of the song. Before she actually carries a tune, the beginning is so bad. It's like so many hip-hop songs. It's out of key. It's out of tune. You know, oh, but you can hip, hip-hop really fast. You can talk really fast. You can rap really fast. You know. I want to say stop it. You can sing. Just sing. Uh, it drives me crazy. Every time a Lizzo song comes on, I'm like, that's not singing. Like, if go to the end of her song, and she starts singing.
0: She can right, sing, and that, she can yeah. play the flute. So it's like, why don't you do those two things?
1: Uh, she has musical talents, but it's almost like she sells out the opposite way, that she has to be a hip-hop artist, because that's the cool genre, you know. not what she does. So I'm just saying, these are thoughts from a 56-year-old. Stuck at home during COVID 19. And if it goes on any longer, I'm gonna be 57
0: pretty soon. <laughs> I like that you were offering the advice because, you know, hey, f- from different perspectives, that's where some of the genius stuff comes from. So it's not, it's it's not that crazy. Uh le- let's go back a little bit. Let's let's go back to I when you said gooped up on GOP, like I immediately thought back to like Kevin Matthews. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I, I I like that that's a very Kevin Matthews or Jim Shorts saying. So yeah. back in those days when you were surrounded by a bunch of crazy people on the radio, what yeah. what were those days like?
1: The easiest job I ever had. It it the hardest part was actually getting up because I was working at CLTV and there were nights when I, I did the ten o'clock news and the studios were in Oak Brook and I lived in Lincoln park and I would get home at midnight. Oh, but all then my friends would be like, Oh, you have to meet us on rush street. You know, we're all, we're all at the hangup. You know? So I'd be like, okay. So I would get home at like 1am and then I had to be on the morning show. I had to be ready to go on the air at five. So I would ride my bike. Um, and I'd leave my house at four 30 and I would get there at like 10 to five, um, and then just rip and read. But it, the thing with Kevin is, you know, we talk about it with athletes. When you are geniusly skilled at something, it makes everyone else around you better. And, uh, Kevin is such a, a genius comic comedic mind that he totally laid out the carpet, uh, made it easy. They were layups for me. Um, the, the, the whole group I worked with, um, Jelly was the producer. Um, Kevin doc was our engineer, uh, God rest his soul. Um, we had um such great chemistry that it was like hanging out with your friends oh and, and pugs i can't forget pugs um we just had great chemistry and it was funny we all knew the t- timing was great we didn't step on each other nobody tried to take over a show um It was Kevin's show. He knew when to bring people in, uh, to bring in your character. I used to tell people, don't believe everything you hear. Uh, It was theater of the mind. There were times uh, I was at home on the air when I was trying to get pregnant, and I had uh, thrown my back out. And so I was on uh, a mic at home, uh, an ISDN line, and um, I... I don't know who called in a doctor, someone called in physical therapist and said, you know, roll a ball on your back, that'll get the knot out. Well, now, you know, we use rollers all the time, but back 20 years ago, that was a very novel idea. And um, so I lay, I pretended like I was laying on the ground and it was, oh, 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 yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm really just sitting there with my cup of coffee going, oh, yeah, oh, 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 yeah. You know, (laughs) it wasn't. But people said, you know, some of the skits we did that they would drive off the road laughing. It was just our own personalities all meshed with each other. And we just kind of got it. It was the most fun I have ever, ever had and got paid for. I mean, just so much fun.
0: Yeah, that seems like a, a hard thing to chase where if you have that early enough in your career and then you're like,
1: yeah,
0: well, am I ever going to find something like that ever again in this business?
1: Well, especially when you you kind of switch and you turn gears and you go into sports on the news. Now you have to be a little bit more serious. And I had to kind of sell my um my reputation i had to set my reputation up as a as a serious journalist um after these years of being goofy on kevin matthew's show and so you can't do both right away you have to really kind of lay the road and you have to like pave it so that once people respect you you can start showing your personality you know you can start making comments at Lovey Smith press conferences. You can show your personality more. You know, it's really, really hard. Uh I, I think it's easier today for people to just show who they are, but then you have to pick a lane. And then that's your lane. Not many people are able to do a lot of different things. Serious journalists, stupid goofy, funny, sarcastic comedian stuff like that. So um it's you know, back then you had to I had to kind of like I was I was aware enough to know that I had to convince the audience of my credibility to do sports and to be believed and to be taken seriously, and then to also have fun at the same time.
0: Do you think about how radio prepared you for doing television?
1: Oh, my gosh. I remember when Frank Whitaker, um, the vice president of news at Channel 5, they were looking to bring in a freelancer, and they decided to they didn't want to hire someone regularly and I had been sending them tapes since college I would drop off a tape constantly because I interned there I interned under Warner Saunders and I was constantly dropping off tapes and um they finally said okay we're gonna give you a shot um David Kaplan Peggy and Tom Thayer We were going to be the bearish reporters, but we would take turns. And I took it as competition. I was like, okay, Tom had all the knowledge, but really didn't want to do the daily kind of stuff. Didn't want to have to go in and talk to the players, you know, on camera. He really didn't want, like, he's perfect in the lane he's in. And that's as a game analyst, right? Cap at the time was doing um, college basketball coaching and he had, he had like a scouting service or something. Yeah. I can't remember. Right. Yeah. He had I... some kind of like scouting service and he ran like a camp and stuff. And, and so he had the contacts, he, you know, had that going for him. Um, and I kind of felt like I was just going to outwork the three of them and just get things done and i kind of think that's what i did um i made myself so available um constantly new ideas going in and talking to players and doing sit downs and came up with different ideas for stories tried to be creative you know and i just kind of flooded them with these ideas and when frank whitaker when they decided to hire just me after this experiment he said you can tell you do radio because whenever we have a breaking story, you can just talk. And that being able to talk off the cuff is it's golden for breaking news. And every time we had any kind of breaking news, I was able to just talk. And so I learned to just talk, but get in there all the key information you need to pass along in your report. And, um, I, I, it was the best thing I ever did was, and the other thing is radio gave me credibility. It was a long format. It's, it was hours upon hours a day that you're talking. So you prove your credibility over hours a day, as opposed to a minute and 15 every day, mm-hmm. which was what TV wants. So in a minute 15, you either are really good on camera or you're giving good information, you know those that are good at both you know that's not instantaneous you you have to develop your audience and i was so lucky that i got my credibility from radio first
0: when it comes to you having to deal with in a lot of cases for a long time you were the the only woman doing sports in chicago on television what what were those moments like when you were you were the other you're different
1: Yeah so I just had this conversation um I had uh Kate Scott who did the play-by play for the all women's broadcast of yeah the Blackhawks and blues game on international women's Day so Kate Scott came on uh, my podcast the sportscaster and her son and I said, hey Kate, I this is no and this was halfway through the interview, so I wasn't there. Was there was no dissing, there was no disrespect at all. But I said, you know, how do you feel when people say that you're such a um, a trailblazer? Now, obviously, they made history. Um, you know, though people didn't pay attention during the Olympics, there were all women teams covering women's hockey, even in the truck, but they didn't get the same kind of, um, I think, publicity behind it. NBC Sports put a great publicity arm together. And Kate Scott and I talked about that on the podcast. And she said, you know, she said, it drives me crazy when people say I'm a trailblazer, because I know that there's all these women ahead of me. Um, And yet she was a trailblazer for what she did. You know, they did make history. Absolutely. And there's still not a lot of, women doing play by play. So when people say that I was the only one doing sports as a woman in local um, television in Chicago, um, I was sitting at CLTV when my coworker, uh, Amy got hired, Amy Stone got hired away from CLTV to go to NBC. She was at NBC, I think 12 or 15 years before I was. Nobody remembers it.
0: I forgot all about that. I remember Amy Amy Stone. Stone.
1: Jill Carlson came in after Amy left. Jill came and worked with me at CLTV. And then Jill left and she went to Fox. And so Jill was doing sports at Fox. Um, Trying to think who else. Uh, There were a couple of women at the old, um, oh gosh, what was the old um, NBC Sports Chicago called? Um,
0: Comcast Sportsnet.
1: Comcast Sports Desk. Thank you. There were three women. And I considered that doing sports to a a broader market than I was doing at CLTV. They were all, you know, Gail was over there. They were all over there doing it. I don't know what happened when I went to Channel 5. I don't know if it's because I have a bigger mouth. I don't know if it's because (laughs) I have a bigger personality. (laughs) Um, I took more risks, I think for sure. I definitely took more risks. Um, I, my success became big and I think that, um, you know, by no means I was not the first and there were people before me. Um, you know, I, I say it all the time that, um, in the 70s, you know, people always forget Jeannie Morrison's doing it. And Jeannie Morris was at Channel 2 and Channel 5. But a lot of people forget that. And they think that, oh, well, she was married to Johnny Morris, the Bears wide receiver. No, she was the journalist in the family. Right. You know, she wrote Brian's song. She was the, the, the true TV person. Um, it's just funny, Lawrence. It's just who people remember. And I think I embraced all of the media that was um, available to us. I was going on radio shows while I was at channel five, you know, I embraced, you know, Twitter and Facebook. And so I was doing everything and I was kind of like, just probably shoving it in people's faces. And that's why people either, you know, (laughs) loved me or hated me. So, um, so I appreciate the success, um, but there were like others who absolutely got hired Um, before me and were on television doing sports at the local side of a network affiliate in Chicago before me.
0: How did you handle the criticism that women face in television that men kind of don't?
1: I was never pretty enough to be (laughs) accused. lipstick on a pig oh would you stop
0: (laughs) get out of here honestly
1: like seriously lawrence like like if people saw me with with my hair up and, and stuff um i never i don't think i ever have been accused of being the pretty girl so i never thought of myself that way therefore I never carried myself that way um I and if anyone ever said you're only up there because you have you know boobs uh I'd be like wow thank you for noticing that (laughs) like thank you because no one ever hits on me you know (laughs) honestly I like That just isn't me. That's just not, it's not me at all. Um, It just isn't. So I never even put myself in that category. The only thing that I will say that um, I think is when they, the way the athletes, when the athletes would, you know, hit on you or be disrespectful to you. I have seven brothers. So I kind of treated them like I would my brothers. It was kind of an F you back, you know, like seriously, dude, you know, do your job next week and maybe I'll be over there talking to you in your stall. So I kind of just gave it back to them. There wasn't a lot of that. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, there, there really wasn't. Um, listen, I didn't know what I was talking about for like, I, I covered it up. And I got called out a couple of times, but that's okay. You know, that's what part of the job is, is c- can you learn on the fly, learn the job and improve from, from there on. I mean, we all make mistakes. You know, it just took me a long time to get over the mistakes.
0: I think that that's a really interesting point that you raise. It's almost like people think because we cover sports that we're somehow experts in sports. And to a certain degree, like we have to learn some of the expertise of it. But it's not that you're an expert in sports. Go be a reporter. There's there's some, some learning that takes place. And sometimes I wish that that coaches and athletes that we cover understood that better. And that's, that's something that yeah. I would, like we're asking. Sometimes we're asking questions because we don't know the answer to it. And, right. and a lot of times we get accused of, well, you, you know, like it happened happen in press conferences with lovey all the time. Like, yeah. well, you, you know, well, no, I don't. That's why I'm asking you. So how about you just give me an answer to the question so that I do know and I can add it to what I already know and and become a, a smarter and better reporter?
1: I think, you know what, Lawrence, and you teach, so you understand this aspect of it. When I was in college in the early 80s, I was taught, you have to be right. You can never be wrong. You can never be wrong on the air. And that was exactly how television news started back in the 50s like you you were the authority you had to be right. And I think at some point in the 80s and 90s when uh, it changed was um, when we we started talking more than about like the X's and O's and um, news became more about everything from politics to religion to, health to legal contracts, financials um, with collective bargaining agreements. It became everything. And um, you need to be knowledgeable in everything. Uh, You need to know how to find the information. And you need to be very careful of presenting it uh, in an accurate way. But in the end, we still make mistakes. So I think that what I always found, like, I always felt like I had to be right. I had to be right. I had to be right. And towards the end of my career, I realized that it's not so much about having to be right. It's about uh, relating to the people at home. And if you don't understand something, you say, you know, I really don't understand this offense. Can you, can you explain it to me? Because that's what the, the audience at home wants to know. And the more you can relate to your audience, we're only the conduit to the audience. And to the, to the athlete and the teams. And so there are times we ask stupid questions, but we ask them for a reason. Um, I remember one reporter even called me out in a press conference at Fall uh When I asked the special teams coach um, when they stopped the wedge uh, and the rules stopped allowing you to do the wedge, um, breaking up the wedge uh, on special teams in the NFL. And I said, can you explain that? And, Another reporter in the room turned and looked at me and said, well, you know, it's when they, and my eyes were like, like, I just looked, I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I said, no, I know it, but I need the coach to say it for my soundbite. I need him to say it for my story. It doesn't do me any good showing them how much I know. Right. I need the coach explaining it in his words for the audience. And so sometimes we ask stupid questions for that reason. Sometimes we ask questions just for a reaction. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, there's a lot of, and that all comes with your experience in the field, you know, and understanding there's a lot of different reasons you're asked. Sometimes you're asking a question to set up the next question. You know, there's a lot of reasons behind it.
0: Yeah, and the, the asking questions to get the bite is something that I think a, a lot of people in the audience don't necessarily understand. And, and again, I go back to being in the room with Lovey Smith. Like, yeah, I know exactly what you're getting ready to tell me, right. but I need you to say it because you're the coach of the bears. Exactly. Right. M- me saying it doesn't do any good. You being the coach of the bears makes all the difference in the world. Exactly.
1: Right. And if people read their newspaper articles, um, and pay attention to where the quotes are. Those are our sound bites in radio and television. Those are the sound bites that we are using in our stories. So the writers, you know, whoever they may be from the Tribune or the Sun Times or the Daily Herald, they use the same sound bites that we do. And what what sometimes we get looked at as being the dummies. You know, it's like, oh my God, you guys are so stupid. It's like, well, it's all how we have to write around the information that they're giving us.
0: Let's talk about you and the one-on-ones. Cause I've always, when it comes to trying to figure out how to do television interviews, I think that you're one of the best that that's done it in our business. What's your approach to putting together like long form sit-down interviews with people?
1: So hard. Tell me what you liked about. Tell me what, because I'm super critical. Um, oh, I'm, I'm like, I would never go back and say that I was really an A at anything. Um, I was always very, very critical and thought I could always do something better and change it. So I'm curious as a, a a member of the media, when you've watched a one-on-one that I did, what was it that stood out to you?
0: I like it that you were always good at figuring out the tone of the interview. If uh, it, if yeah. it, if it was a player who didn't do their job, your tone was perfect for that. If it was a fun one-on-one, like your tone was perfect for that. If it was a serious sit down where you were, you were genuinely trying to get information from someone that your tone was different f- from, for that. And I always yeah. love that you walked in and you would have your your pad and you would be like, "This is what I'm getting done today." So I I want like what went into your process of of getting yeah. getting that type of reactions from the subjects of your interviews?
1: Um, gosh, you know you're you nailed it. With I was always aware of. Um, what the topic or the athlete or the coach, like you have to really, you, one of the things with not being in tune um, and being in the know, I think it's being in the know, you know, sometimes in television, you, um, we can't possibly use as much information as the beat writers get. And, you can either take the easy way out and just be like, well, I don't need it. So why would I, why do I need to sit there for a Jerry Angelo um, information session with the beat writers when, you know, my station's never going to give me the time to use it. And I would say it's, it will make you a better reporter. It will make you understand more about um, background information. Um, If you go into an interview and you ask someone um, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, the COVID virus, people are taking this so seriously. And you don't realize that maybe the athlete you're interviewing had a family member that um, was either uh, a paramedic or, you know, a first responder, or maybe, you know, um, had a death in the family recently. You're like you have to be really aware of as much information as you can possibly consume to understand what you think you're going to get now you have to be open enough to know it can change but you have to at least go into it thinking this is going to be tough on them you know they had a tough year last year or this guy's on the chopping block jerry angelo basically said it on a you know in a background information session um You know, uh, David Terrell, you know, here's a guy was, uh, was he a first round, was he their first round draft pick? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, things like that, where you stop and you say, okay, um, I'm going to go into this and I know that this year is going to be it for him. And so there's gotta be a little bit of seriousness to it. Um, so I guess I just really tried to always be so in the know as much as I could, Um, because that comes through in the interview and when they realize that, you know, some things, uh, they give you better information. They give you better answers. And now the audience is going to find out maybe one thing that they've never known before. And that should always be, you know, the, the goal of any story or interview, give them, let them walk away with, this is the information age. I mean, people can find out everything we need to give them something they can't find out. So be a good interviewer, be someone who's really in the know and tries to just absorb as much information as possible.
0: How did you go about building your credibility in locker rooms?
1: Um, You know, it's funny. When I first started at CLTV, um, uh, Glenn Kozlowski said something to me. He was playing for the Bears and um uh, for those who don't remember I think he was number 88 he was special teamer um tight end and uh he was like watching me in in the locker room and he asked me he said did you ever play sports and I thought uh-oh here we go it's gonna be the you didn't play you don't know what you're talking about and um I said uh yeah, I was an All-City basketball player here in Chicago. Um, I was like second team All-State. I played volleyball. I played softball. Actually, I kind of played everything. I have seven brothers here. Yeah, he was, yeah, I could tell. I could tell you're an athlete. I could just tell by the questions, the way you ask the questions. Like, you understand what goes in, and you understand what, you know, might come out. Um, and so, you know, he, he, and he and I were talking about that um he's like don't ever lose that and I was like yeah yeah and then he said to me um I don't know if I should even say this this is a little bit on the edge that's okay for the podcast it's okay for the podcast okay so he's like oh you played basketball and I said yeah I did I played basketball and uh he said really did you play in college I said no I blew out my knee um in uh city tournament and then state, uh, when I played for Resurrection High School, and he said, um, Oh, are you, you're not lesbian, are you? <laughs> <And> I, said, <laughs> and I said, What? No, I'm Polish.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so that was my way. Of kind of like diverting the conversation from what could have been really like just like, oh, no, here we go. And and he said, okay, that was the best laugh I have had in such a long time. He said, that's the other thing you can never lose is your sense of humor. And so that was kind of just taught me when I worked the locker rooms. Just remember what it was like to be an athlete. Be inquisitive and um don't lose your sense of humor and you know if someone like olin krutz would give us an a non-answer i would kind of give him the eyebrows and be like what what was that like that really wasn't an answer you know and he would just kind of laugh and be like okay great all right peg you know so yeah it was just i don't know i think it's just my personality i just kind of i just kind of learned you know use everything you have
0: I, I really enjoyed
1: you think people are gonna be mad about this?
0: no that, that, I, I think
1: My pe- story
0: I think that's gonna be a fun laugh for people I think that that's a great way to answer that question to tell you the truth <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Kaz will like it too like that's a funny story I, I loved I loved covering the bears while you were covering the bears we had very different relationships. On the microphone with Lovey Smith, like mine was uh, very antagonistic and adversarial. Yours was not, unless it needed to be, and yeah. and then you, you. So when how when do you know to turn it on and to turn it off? Because I I feel like if I could go back to that version of myself, I would be um. I would be more mindful of the adversarial approach that I sometimes took. Like I, I still wear it as a little bit of a badge of honor because, all right. So I got a lovey Smith story. Can I tell you a lovey Smith story? Yeah, for sure. So we're at training camp down in bourbon. And you remember how they used to have the bikes, like lovey started the whole bike thing. And so I'm standing out there. I was listening back. Like I had interviewed someone before lunch and everyone else had kind of gone into lunch and I'm standing out there by myself and Lovey comes up and he goes, "Well, I see you with all your friends." <gasps> and I said, "Yeah, and with all your championships."
1: Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. You did it.
0: Yeah, I did.
1: Oh. Wow. So,
0: but in wow. Yeah, so we that would happen a lot. Like that would we would I would get after it with him a lot and in press conferences this happened a ton. I always liked that you asked pointed questions. You did it with a smile until you did you had to not do it with a smile. Yeah. So where did that come from?
1: Well, you know, at some point in my career, I really started to love the digging for a story and um I what I found is I wanted to be more like the beat writers but in TV, you can't because you have to cover every team. You have to cover the Cubs, the Sox, the Bears, the Bulls, the Blackhawks, the college teams, you know, high school. Um, but I just craved, like, information and the truth. And I think, I think, like, as I became a veteran reporter, I realized when we were being fed a line. And I did not want people to look at me as like, you really believe that stuff that they say to you, you know, because I could, I started being able to see through it. And it bothered me when they assumed that the audience was so, I guess stupid can be harsh, but
0: Naive. For lack of
1: a better term, naive that they're going to believe whatever the coach says, right? And um, at the same time that we reporters just write down whatever the coach says. And I think that with Lovey, that's where we started to – we started out great, and then obviously as things got tougher towards the end of his career, he got more defensive, and he really – tried to be defensive in his, you know, a lot of, um, well, I'm the coach of the Chicago bears kind of answers and it really wasn't good enough sometimes. And I, um, you know, listen, I, I used to keep a, a quote from, I want to say it was Bernie Goldberg. He does HBO real sports. Yeah. Um, who used to say, you know, if you haven't pissed someone off, As a journalist, you're not doing your job. And the point is not to be adversarial and to be, you know, aggressive and go after people. The point is to just try to get the truth. And don't be afraid to ask for the truth. Um, Because in the end, we all want transparency. As sports fans, we want transparency. And um, I really got it like i got the fact that teams tell you what they want you to know and um you know it wasn't good enough when prices were going up for tickets and you know the amount of money being spent like they i always felt that the fans deserved the truth and so i kind of really dug that going after you know like the truth is okay it's okay to give the truth, um, and it, you know, it would listen. Lovey and I, I would say we probably have a, a good relationship now. Not, you know, i i he's, I'm sure he's still angry about some things. I'm sure he feels like the media got him fired, um, but um, I think overall, you just want your entire body of work to be what they judge you on. And I think overall, you know, he's called me in the principal's office. He didn't like, you know, I would roll my eyes at the press conference and that drove him crazy. And he would call me out after the cameras were off, call me in the hallway. So, you know, I was disrespectful sometimes and other times, you know, I got some good advice where, you know, PR guys would be like, Hey, this isn't talk radio. You know, you need to decide, are you a talk radio host where you can just, throw everything out there, and it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, be backed up by anything, you know, uh, or are you going to back it up with facts, and so I thought, okay, this is interesting, and so I really tried to find a balance, and find the balance of what people want to hear, what they deserve, and, um, you know, what makes interesting conversation, like, when you go home, and you're, like, hanging out, and At home is this what are you going to talk about Are you going to talk about oh my god did you see What lovey smith said today or did You hear like that's that's a little Bit of what I like I wanted that I wanted people To be talking about it
0: all right I got Two more questions for you and I appreciate you Being so gracious with your time Oh my
1: god this is going to be like This will be our epic episode
0: (laughs) Oh look this is what I love to do for for house of L like I love to do this like so I can really Talk with people and now you're on what Your second glass of wine (laughs) Left. <laughs> all right well this one's a more of a technical question how did you deal with because when i was working at channel five this is this is the shit that drove me crazy you spend four or five hours putting together your four minutes you get it you jeff glicks yelling at you dave Breyers yelling at you you get everything that you get done and then they go we're gonna need to take 20 seconds." Oh,
1: it, okay, Lawrence, I came from ESPN. I was the producer. You never cut uh, a package without discussing what the importance, like what you need to cut out. Like at ESPN, that was disrespectful. It was really hard for me to get used to at the local level that you just turned your stuff over and then you watched it on the air that night and they might've cut out 20 or 30 seconds. I had many, many screaming matches where I said, at the very least, call me. I can tell you what doesn't need to be in there, but Because you need to save 20 seconds and that sound bite was 20 seconds. That was your convenient cut. That was the most information of the entire story. Like you don't take that part out. And so it drove, like I thought about every detail of my packages. I thought about the rate of a dissolve. Do you want a slow dissolve for the emotion? Or can you just do a quick cut? Because you're just going from one thought to the next. I thought about um, what type of transitions we were doing between shots because I wanted the audience to actually not realize why they were thinking something. Um, was this comedic? Was this not? Uh, this is information that nobody else has. This has to be in there. He did not say this to anyone else. You know, It drove me crazy. And I understood why Local news can get such a bad rap because it comes down to we need, we need to save 20 seconds. We needed 20 seconds. So I had to cut 20 seconds out. And it's like, it can, it, to me, it can ruin your reputation for what the point was you were trying to get across. And um, I never dealt with it well. <laughs> they can tell you I was a bitch. I was a bitch when it came to you cut my stuff out, like, we are gonna talk about what, because, uh, listen, I was obnoxiously, um, uh, uh, I really owned my stuff. And I really wanted them to realize, like, they didn't get this over at Channel 7. Like, I got this. I know that they didn't get, the Tribune didn't get this. Like, this short little bit, has to be in there because it's that, it's that important. And I even had, as an example, one point I did in uh, one of my standups, it was one of those, oh gosh, we don't have a lot to go on today. And the more they make everyone get the same information, the same press conferences, the same availability. I was in the Bears locker room and Jay Cutler had walked through the locker room. He was just going, just cutting through with his food. And he looked over at, uh, one of the wide receivers and he's like, Oh, glad to see you're playing, you know, happy sack or whatever it's called. He's like, uh, you need to be in the film room working on your routes. And I heard it and I was like, "Mm." Hmm. so I did a quick, I did a quick check. Oh, targets four targets last week, one for four the week before. One for four, week for four, zero for three, week before, I was like, ooh, I can turn that into information. And so it was something so teeny tiny, small, um, but I used it in my standup and uh, came out of it with a graphic of this wide receiver and the last four games. And I had one of the Tribune reporters said to me, that is the kind of information that people don't realize is information. The fact that you picked that up just from standing here in the locker room, everybody else is standing here, just kind of doing nothing. He said, that's what made that story stand out. And so that's what I just tried to always kind of, you know, show them is you may think it's stupid and and inconsequential, but it's not, it's being observant and, 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 You know, don't take it too far and don't make it what it's not. Um, But is there something to this? You know, so that's what, you know, my mind was always like. Which is why I needed a much needed rest, because my it's like it's like a rat being on the wheel when I wake up in the morning, I I still get up between four and five every day. My mind is just like going like that.
0: Well, it used to drive me crazy with the live shows, too. Like that would drive me insane where we've cut it is. As as deep as we can cut it. Like now you're talking about like no establishing shots and stuff. Yeah. Because we're going to, we need it for weather or for whatever, whatever story. Like because sports is usually at the end of a show, we're usually the ones that would end up getting the brunt of that. And it used to drive me insane.
1: Yeah. And it's, it is, it is a fight in local news today is telling a story, um, establishing the story, telling the story, and getting information in there that others have not already given out, um, making your story stand out. It That is why it's so challenging. When people are like, oh my God, local news, it's so easy. Yeah, you're right, it can be really easy, or you can really find it very challenging because you only have, uh, on average a minute 10 a minute 15 to get the story out there and to try to make how am i how am, is my story going to stand out from someone that's watching ryan baker on channel two um Gian greco on channel seven or um dion miller or megan maliky um dan rowan on channel nine cory mcferrin um,
0: on channel 32 Corey
1: on fox or luke Canellis, and you know all the Something has to make people want to tune you in. Some, there has to be something. And for me, it was information. I was trying to get information. It was, you know, I'm not going to get them to tune in for my looks. I'm getting them to tune in for my information. Trust me on that.
0: So are you are you happy having walked away?
1: Yeah, I am. I think there's never the right time. I feel like I understand athletes even more than I thought I did understand them before. Um, you know, wasn't the right time. Uh, it was probably early, maybe too soon, but the reality was Lawrence, I could not go to work every day. I hated it. I was mailing it in. I wasn't putting any effort behind my stories. Um, I absolutely could have stayed. My contract was up right after the Cubs won the World Series. Um, and I was like, what am I doing? I, I don't, like that drive that I loved. I love the, the thirst for information. Um, it was thwarted. The teams were getting tougher to deal with, uh, more restrictive. I had personal issues, all of that stuff. And I thought, well, you know, I've always told people, don't be that grump don't be the one that's bitching about the industry. You know, you got to walk away when it's time to walk away. And yeah, it's not, it hasn't been easy the last three years. It'll be four years. Um, It hasn't been, but I think, you know, trying to find what is going to drive you when you're in your mid fifties, you do not have the same energy you did in your twenties where you can work four and five jobs. Well, maybe you do. <laughs> um, but we just don't have that drive. Um, so, like, I had a really good friend. I, I asked for a good year before I did it. I asked a lot of friends. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are older than me, a lot of friends who are younger than me, and so I asked my older friends, you know, how did you know when the right time was to retire? And they were all men. Um, no, there was no one answer. But one friend of mine said. You know, everybody goes back to work after one year, retired. Everyone is like, this is like, I can't handle it. I'm going back to work. And um, so I knew I should keep a door open and ask NBC, will they just keep me in the loop for stories to work a handful of times a year? Because when he said that, I'm like, yeah, I could see that happening. So I'm going to want to still work some. Um, Trying to find what's going to fill the void is the hardest thing without realizing that the clock is ticking on life. You know, Mm. like when you're 25, it's like, oh my God, I would kill to have all that free time. You know, well, you have your whole life ahead of you. When you're 55, you're kind of going, oh geez, you know, a year's gone by, what have I done? You know, Um, yes, I realize like the time with my family is invaluable. Of course it is, but I'm not gonna be that idiot you know, that's like, oh, I wanted to spend more time with my family, realizing that two teenage boys really don't want to spend any time with their mom. So, I mean, that's just being realistic. Have I spent more time? I've seen everyone except one of my daughter's gymnastics meets, which when my boys were playing baseball, um, I was literally running in the middle of the game, jumping on the and we're getting to the Blackhawks when the puck dropped um I'd be running to try to get to you know volunteer at school and then I'd get to a, a Cubs or a sox game in the third or the fourth inning and try to catch up you know up on what I missed So yes I have spent invaluable time at home um trying to find what's gonna fill that void uh, is an everyday process I took voiceover classes for a year and a half um I, set up a uh, home studio in my basement, started a podcast with my son. That has been the most like work that I have done. Um, I'm working on a couple of other ideas that I've always wanted to do. Uh, I've thought about these since I was in my thirties and I'm like, well, why am I not doing it? some of those athletes that I have I interviewed over the years, I now have a different relationship with them. It's um, friendly when I see them. I run into them on the golf course. We end up talking about what they're doing. So many of them are getting into broadcasting. They always ask me for advice. Um, I find that I like to talk about my theories on broadcasting. So you know, I think I'm probably going to start. Uh, consulting and you know um I don't know how much I can help people but I like doing that so and I'll be honest with you you know what I miss the most what what do you think of all of it like everyone always says the camaraderie and yes I do miss the camaraderie trust me I miss the media rooms and the sarcasm uh and the competition I miss the competition for a story um But you know what I miss the most? I miss a paycheck. (laughs) 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 I'm going to be honest. Okay. I have worked since I was 11, 12 years old. I always earned my own paycheck. Always, always, always. And my husband's wonderful. And he's the one who encouraged me to retire. And yes, I am fortunate But there is something very prideful in earning your own money. And it's something that the old Polsky and me from the Northwest side of Chicago, just I'm not good with. I'm just, I'm not really good with like, I need, I need to be able to have earned my my own way. So that's the only thing that I'm, I have not come to terms with.
0: Well, PK, this was extremely informative. And I know.
1: I feel like I owe you money. Like, I just had a great couch session that you're
0: like. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it. this is exactly the whole reason that I do this podcast is because I know that I'm learning. And I usually I usually share a lot of this stuff with my students. Like, I let them hear some of this so they understand what they're walking into right. because plenty of them see the finished product on the nice. air and they have no idea of everything that's underneath it.
1: Yeah, I know. There was a really funny um, uh, uh, tweet this week that was going around um, list your five jobs that you've had, you know, and then tag five people. And when you look at people in the media and the jobs that they've had, I, I was laughing so hard because I want to tell my son who's going to, he's, you know, decided to go to UT Austin to pursue sports broadcasting. And I told him, listen, buddy, like you're going into an industry that you don't make money for a long, long time, long time. And you got to really love what you're doing and you take whatever jobs you can get, you know, to pay your bills. And I'm reading what some of the other media people wrote as some of their jobs, Deion Miller worked at an Amish restaurant. <laughs> 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 what? what? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's really like people need to realize that it's like anything. We all, these were, this was our goal and we're all the survivors. We're the ones who made it, but not everyone does make it. And that's why it's like, It's and that's with any industry. People fall out of every industry because of the challenges. And it's, you know, the strong survive and keep your eye on the prize.
0: Well, thanks for this. And I'm looking forward to I hope that you implement my TikTok idea because I love the idea of like you teaching your daughter the Charleston.
1: Lawrence. What the fuck, man? I'm not eighty. I'm not 80. The Charleston. <laughs> I don't know how to do so. but Bring it up at least to the Bee Gees. Okay. All right.
0: The staying Alive thing. I think that's where... where
1: Michael Jackson, like the Bee Gees, Donna Summers, um, and then go to Hart and Fleetwood Mac and all that. Like, that was my formative years. Okay? Do, you think,
0: do you think that your daughter knows what the moonwalk is?
1: Yes, because she asked me. I saw her working on it, and I actually showed, well, because, you know, the last couple of years, the whole Michael Jackson, when he died, I had to tell my teenagers, too, I'm like, you guys don't understand, he was the king of pop, he was the biggest name in music, and so the boys were understanding, because they were 14 and 15 when Michael died, my daughter was younger, obviously, she was like eight, and then, now she's 11, and I see her trying to moonwalk in the kitchen. I said, oh, no, no, no. I said, you have to pick one foot up. You have to pick the whole arch up. And she looked at me, and I showed her how to moonwalk. She thought that was the greatest thing in the world.
0: See, that's something that goes on TikTok. Like, you, you got to flip it on its head, and you got to show yeah. the young people what's up. That's what it is.
1: Oh, so that's a great idea. She could totally, like, do, you know, a renegade move. And then I bring back a Michael Jackson move and yeah 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 we'll have to work on it listen if this covid goes any longer you're right that's what we're all gonna be superstars on tiktok
0: well wherever wherever the camera is that's where we gotta go
1: and and still not making any money no i had a friend of ours a friend of ours said gosh this covid 19 he goes man he goes why is it one weekend and i'm on my second Second outing to the store to buy two weeks worth of booze. <laughs> <It's> like,
0: <laughs> like yeah.
1: Another friend goes, "This is like Las Vegas in my house." He, he's like, "The booze is flowing." I'm still losing money, and I have no idea what day or time it is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Like for me, the weekends have been the hardest. Like during the week, like I still have my routine, and I'm still doing the radio show. So lucky, that, yes. that makes sense. Saturday and Sunday, I have no concept of time or what I'm doing.
1: I know. It's crazy. It's gonna be I think we're all gonna come out we're gonna come out on top. There's gonna be a positive everyone. I really do. I really believe that. That everyone's going to be, you know, um more empathetic to each other. I hope so. Um less self absorbed and um, you know, we're all gonna Realize that we all kind of went through something together
0: but not before you put that tick tock out
1: yeah all right
0: <laughs> i i look forward to us sharing a space together again soon
1: for sure would love it thank you Lauren.
0: thank you so much for doing this i'll talk bye to anytime. you soon bye all right well if you were ever wondering why all of peggy kaczynski's co-workers just adore her you found out why listening to that episode she's just She's just great. She gets it. She's a lot of fun. She is embracing being the mom that is now doing dances on TikTok, which I don't know if I would have ever guessed, but you can never put anything past Peggy. She's an absolute legend. I loved hearing the stories about her talking about working with Kevin Matthews, who's someone that I need to get on this podcast. I don't know if I can handle talking with Kevin Matthews. Cause I'm such a big fan of his. It would be like me getting doll on the podcast. I would probably fanboy out a little bit. But that's okay, right? Like that's allowed. You don't mind that when I fanboy out on on some of this stuff. And Peggy's just she's just dope, man. Like I it's hard for me to even describe like how helpful she was when I made my jump to television. She was really helpful in teaching me like how to take some of the lessons that I learned from radio in crafting a story and then figuring out how to translate that to television. Her and Paula Ferris, and you should go back and listen to the Paula Ferris episode. It's a few episodes back. Her new book's coming out, as a matter of fact, this week. So it would be a good time to revisit that conversation because I just got Paula's book and a really nice note in the mail. But those two women played an instrumental part in me wanting to continue to do television. Because I saw how they were, they were doing it, and they did it the way that I wanted to do it. So it, it left open possibilities for me that I didn't think were even there. But Peggy's the truth, man. She's the absolute truth. And you, it, you're not going to find anyone that has a bad word to say about her. And they better not say it in front of me. If they do have a bad word to say about her, we're going to be fighting. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I'm debating whether or not I'm going to do something for House of L for The Last Dance. Probably owe that to, to the Loho Daily Podcast, but we'll see. Maybe I can do a little bit of both on each. Still got some great episodes to come. Man, I had a conversation with Eric Clark, aka Mr. T's daughter. I got to get some of this stuff cleared through legal before I can even put it out. But it's so good. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support on the House of L podcast. Thanks to Peggy Kaczynski and check out her podcast that she does with her son. It's really, really good. The Sportscaster and Her Son is the name of the podcast. They get big names on, too. I'll talk to you next week. Peace.